And uh, a couple of announcements. You saw the Saxum stuff that the women's ministry is selling. That, of course, is an opportunity for you as a well-planned, thought-out gift, right, to get a gift for your mom. And it's not too late. And all the money goes to support a ministry uh, uh, where uh, women are... Uh, are they, they're, they're rescued, right? These women are rescued out of uh, the, the sex slave industry, is that right? And other, yeah, and so, and they're taught and given a trade, and, and um, they make these items to um, help support the ministry, so. And, and also, May 16th, I know Curtis was walking around earlier with a sign-up sheet. If you guys have the uh, Saturday available to come down here to the church, we're going to be doing spring cleaning outside uh, with the guys and inside with the, with the ladies. There's a lot to be done. There's a list for each, and so would encourage you guys to please come be a part of that. It starts at 8.30. Lunch is provided. <clears throat> the other thing is, is we got a new newsletter um, from our missionaries in the Czech Republic, Milan and Zita and their family. There's copies on the uh, ministry, uh, on the missions ministry table there. And um, it's a four-page letter. It lets you know what's going on, uh, prayer requests that they have. And um, it's cool to hear what God's doing over there with them. They've been there for a long time. We've been su um, supporting them for a long time. And so get a copy and check it out so that you guys will know how to pray for them. All right, the book of Revelation. If we want to start by reading together, I'll read and you can follow along. Chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which he gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn <clears throat> from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. <clears throat> to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. The words of Jesus, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write it in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see, and the voice that spoke, turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. 
And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said to me, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys to Hades and of death. Write these things, write the things which you have seen, the things which are and the things which will take place after this, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Father, I want to ask God that as we begin to embark on this journey through this study through the book of Revelation, <clears throat> Lord, that it would be more than an intellectual journey through the, the events that are still yet to come that you've promised to bring to completion. Father, things that we're looking forward to. But Lord, that this study and this journey would be one where as we as your sons and daughters would see the hope that we have in you. Lord, that if anyone here doesn't know you, anyone here, Lord, who hasn't yet put their faith in you, God, that they would hear these things and see that the end is near. And Lord, they would not hesitate to commit their lives to you or to recommit their lives to you, Lord, and, and forsaking the things of this world, forsaking the wisdom of men, and God putting their trust completely in you. Lord, I know that this is a work of your Holy Spirit, and God, that your Spirit is, is wonderful and great, and that the Holy Spirit, Lord, is convicting us right now. Lord, speak to us and minister to us and teach us, Lord, so that we may receive the blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. If you want to look back to verse 1 as we kind of go through this, I'm going to dive into these first eight verses this morning as we study, and um, I'm also kind of do our normal introduction to a new book and where we talk about, you know, who it was written to, why it was written, and who the author of the book was, but we'll just do that as we go through more than just kind of a, 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 a topical kind of presentation to begin with. And if you look at verse 1, it clearly tells us who and what this book is about the who and the what. And, and you need to start in these places, just like you do with any of the letters that you may receive. Most of us receive emails or texts. And who here has even received a text? And it's just the numbers come up, right? It's not a name identified with it. And, and lots of times you're like, who is this and what do they want? Right? And we, we do that. That's, that's because we need to know these things in order to put into context the message that's being communicated to us. And that has to happen this morning as well as we begin our journey through the, 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 the book of, uh, of Revelation. And, and so as we look at verse 1, and it tells us this, it tells us that it is the revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as we read through this, we see, we get this picture. Is, is Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, <clears throat> comes to John while he's on the island of Patmos, and he, he reveals things to him, things that 
are soon to come to pass. Things that must take place shortly, uh, we read here. Not only does, does John declare that in the beginning of this, but the words of the Lord himself declare this as well as John begins to record these things. Now, the word revelation is translated from the Greek word apokalopso. And, it, and, and, and in, in, from that word, we derive our English word apocalypse. Now, that word um, has come to mean something much more than what it originally meant in the Greek. And even means something uh, that causes us to really lose focus of what it was really intended to mean when we look at it in relationship to the book of Revelation. Because when we think about apocalypse, especially in all these apocalyptic movies that are, have, been, have been released late, lately, what we think about is doom or destruction or, or chaos and catastrophe. And certainly that word has that, that meaning. However, the word in relationship to what we're reading here, <clears throat> it means, simply means to unveil. To unveil, to to reveal or to uncover. And this is a cool thing to think about it because what Jesus has come and made known to John so that John may make these things known by letter to the seven churches which are in Asia specifically, but to the church as a whole, as we know the word of God is a message from the Lord to us. But it's, it's God sending the son Jesus back to John to reveal things to us to unveil things that are hidden, to uncover the will of God for the future in relationship to the earth and all of creation in that sense. And in this book, the veil or the curtain um, that is concealing the future is being pulled back. The veil or the curtain that's concealing the future is being pulled back in order that we might see, first of all, our Savior Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose from the dead in all of his resurrected glory, because here we have a picture, a person, the nature of Jesus Christ that we've not been accustomed to up until this point. And so we're, we're, we're seeing Jesus in a new light. The veil's being poured, pulled back, and, and we see that when John turned around and saw the resurrected Jesus Christ in all of his heavenly glory, what did he do? He fell down to the ground as one who was dead. He was frightened. He was overwhelmed. In other words, when Jesus first came to the earth, we know he came into this world humbly, helplessly, as a baby, who we know was conceived by the Holy Spirit and birthed by Mary the Virgin and who grew up to be that humble servant of God. And being full of grace and mercy, we know that Jesus died upon the cross for the sins of all of mankind so that through our faith in him, by his grace for us, we have received the gift of forgiveness and are saved from the wrath of God and the eternal judgment and the death that we deserve, which is being revealed here in this revelation. But as we read here in this book, we see that there is more to Jesus than just this helpless baby in the manger, is there not? There's more to Jesus, as we see here, than the humble Savior who gave his life upon the cross. We see here that Jesus also is this. I love this passage of scripture when you look at it in this context because what we read here is we read that Jesus is the resurrected conqueror 
He is the victor over sin and death. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He is the first and the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the highly exalted priest who ministers to his church. He is the glorified Lamb of God who is reigning on a throne. He is the bridegroom who comes, from his, comes back for his bride, we the church. And he is the just and mighty judge, we read, who will rule and who will reign over all of his enemies. And in the book of Revelation, we see and come to know this Jesus, the glorified Jesus, who came to the Apostle John while he was held captive on the island of Patmos and made These things, Jesus came in all of his glory and made these things that are coming soon known. And according to Philippians chapter 2, it's to this person, the glorified and resurrected Jesus Christ, who, who is revealed to us in this book, it's to this person that every knee will bow And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, it proclaims this. I want to read it to you. It says to us that Jesus made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. This is what we read. This is what we see. The highly exalted Son of God. And he has given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, both those who are in heaven and those of the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, we need to understand that as we study through this book, we're going to partake in a blessing, multiple blessings, actually. We're going to read through this book, and we're going to partake in the blessing of looking into the future as that veil's being pulled back, not only to see the resurrected Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, as King and as Conqueror, but also looking into the future and seeing his return, seeing his return to earth, what that will look like when he comes again. But we also see the fulfillment of his plans. We see the end of all things, the fulfillment of God's plans and his purposes in this world and for this world, the things which according to verse 1 we read, which must shortly take place meaning the end of all things as we know it, the end of everything as we know it, and the end of creation and the, and the, and the rebuilding or the reconstruction of everything that will be new. Now, this book is right close to 2,000 years old. And I don't think that there's any one of us sitting here this morning who thinks that God would expect us to believe that 2,000 years is a short amount of time. So I must point out that the word shortly in verse word is the Greek word takos. Just a little side note, I looked that up. 
on Google search. It's taco nachos, if you look that up. That's not what I'm talking about. Not talking about taco nachos. Tacos. And it literally means to come to pass rapidly. To come to pass rapidly. Some of you have heard me use this illustration before. And, and it's, 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 it's like a train that starts off slowly. And it, and it takes a little while to get momentum going, you know. But once things start to, to get into motion, man, the movement and the momentum that takes place comes to a place where it's, it's moving quickly, passing rapidly. So what we are being told is that when these future events begin to happen, okay, when these future events that begin to happen, that, that was revealed to John almost 2,000 years ago, when we begin to see these things start to come to pass, the fulfillment of, of uh, an end of all things, what we're being told is that they will take place rapidly. They will take place quickly meaning they will come to pass within a short amount of time. So even though there have, may have been 2,000 years leading up to what I believe we are now seeing taking place, what the Bible says is there's not going to be a lot of years in between these events. He says they're going to take place shortly. They're going to come to pass rapidly. And because of the events that are and have been taking place recently in our country and across the world that we live in, I'm convinced I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are now daily seeing the signs which tell us about the future plans and purposes of God that we will be reading about in this book, that they are very near to coming to an end because things are in motion. Let me give you an example of what, why I believe this. If you've ever traveled on the interstate to a faraway city, anybody ever traveled across country, right? And you leave one spot and you're heading to another spot. And, and before we had our GPS on our phones and stuff like that, we used to pay really close attention to the road signs, right? To mileage markers. And, and, and those signs are still on the road even today. We don't rely on them as heavily as we used to when we were traveling, but if you've traveled to a faraway city, you know <clears throat> that it might be hundreds of miles between road signs um, that tell you that your destination is coming when you initially take off. Sometimes you may not even see a road sign for the city that you're wanting to go to until you travel a great distance. But as you get closer to your destination, the distances between these signs, they what? They decrease, right? And when you are in the very last stretch of your journey, the signs that are on the road giving you an indication that your destination is coming, which initially have been, been over hundreds of miles apart when you first began, are now, as you draw near, only a few miles apart. And they're letting you know not only that your exit is coming, but your off-ramp is coming, and that your destination is near. The point is, since this revelation was given to the Apostle John nearly 2,000 years ago, there have been evidences telling the world that these future evidences are coming. Road signs. Signs. Things that have come to pass that the Bible has foretold of. But the evidences... 
at times were several hundred years apart. But something of a great prophetic significance happened in May 14th, 1948, that changed everything. And on May 14th, 1948, on that day, in fulfillment to Bible prophecy, Israel was declared a nation and given back portion of their land that God had given to them. They became a nation. They became a nation after not being a nation for thousands of years. The Bible had prophesied this. As a matter of fact, Bible scholars up to that point saw this as such an unbelievable event that they tried to dismiss those prophecies about Israel coming back into the land, saying that it was a spiritual thing, that it was not an actual literal prophecy. In fact, that's where the whole um, replacement theology with the church has come into place, is because those early church fathers, even just 100, 150 years ago, you read the writings, they go, I know the Bible says this, but there's no way it could happen. The Hebrew people are spreaded, scattered all throughout the world. The land is occupied. The land is barren. And so they began to spiritualize those literal Bible prophecies. But everything changed on that day. And since then, since then, the time between the signs started to come more and more often. And now, like road signs that are rapidly being passed by at every mile, we are almost daily seeing signs that tell us that the fulfillment and the end of all things which are told to us here are near. They are near. In light of this, it's important for us to know that for every reference or prophecy made in the Bible to the first coming of Jesus the Messiah. Okay, listen, pay attention. This is important. For every reference or prophecy made in the Bible that foretold of the first coming of Jesus, which, of course, there's about 360, if you look back, there are, for every one for the first coming of Jesus, which I said there are about 360, there are about six references, six to one references or prophecies given to this second coming of Jesus Christ. In other words, we have six times as many reasons to believe and six times as many reasons to be looking for Jesus' return to be looking for things that tell us that we're getting close to Jesus' return. In the Old Testament alone, there are 1,845 references to Jesus' second return. In the Old Testament. It's just not New Testament business. In the Old Testament, 1,845 references to Jesus' second return and to his rule as King of Kings here on the earth. Furthermore, there are 17 books of the Bible... New Testament and Old Testament alike, whose primary theme, the whole theme of, that, of, of those 17 books of the Bible is Jesus' second return and rule on the earth. In addition to this, there are 27 books that make up the New Testament. 
And in these 27 books, there are 260 chapters and 7,958 verses. That was, that's what makes up our New Testament. And contained within the New Testament, in these 260 chapters of these 27 books of the New Testament, there are 318 specific references to Jesus' second coming. This means that we have a total, New Testament and Old Testament combined, the 1,845 Old Testament references to Jesus' second return, and then the, the 318 references to Jesus' return in the New Testament. And when we add these together, we see that we have a total of 2,163 verses for us to examine, for us to look forward to, giving us six times as many evidences pointing to Jesus' return. Six times as many evidences pointing to the fact that Jesus, like he came for the first time in fulfillment of prophecy, is six times more likely, according to biblical prophecy, to come a second time. Six times as many reasons to believe that Jesus is coming again as the person, this is where it gets sobering, as the person that is being described in the book of Revelation. Six times as many reasons to believe that the end and the fulfillment of all things, just as this book defines and prophetically declares, will come to pass. Now, before I move on, and while we're still talking about numbers, I want you to know that this book is a very Jewish book, the book of Hebrews, or the book of, of Revelation. It's a, it's, a, it's a very Jewish book, <clears throat> and it's therefore important for us to know the, a little bit about Jewish history, uh, a lot about Jewish culture, and um, in order to be able to understand the things that are written in this book. In a sense, we have to look through it with a Jewish lens. And so as we study through this book, I'll try to make these connections as we look at them through a Jewish lens. Also, in order to help us to understand this book, we must have a working knowledge of the Old Testament. And the fact of the matter is, is the book of Revelation, inside this book, there are 22 chapters, and there are 404 verses. And within these 404 verses, there are 360 direct Old Testament quotes. That's a lot. I mean, that's like 90%. And of these two, and, 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 and in addition to these 360 Old Testament quotes, there are also 278 verses that contain allusions to the Old Testament. In other words, where there is something that is being illustrated in a figurative way here in the book of Revelation, you can go to the Old Testament 278 times and use it as a key to unlock what the book of Revelation is teaching us. We have, we have a, 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 a code-breaking um, uh, device, which is the Old Testament, as we have these same illusions found in the Old Testament that are used here in an illustrative way to bring forth truth in the book of Revelation. So as we study through this book, 
We will, re, we will be regularly looking back to the Old Testament in order to use what God has already made known to us in order that we might accurately understand and biblically discern what God is still yet to do. Anybody that goes through the book of Revelation and is teaching it, they cannot rely upon their own understanding or their own interpretation or their own explanation for these figurative things that are given here. In order to take them literally, we have to reference the Bible where it's mentioned in other places, and it clearly tells us what these things mean. And that's what we'll do as we go through this. Now, in light of these things, if you join with me and look back at the end of verse 1, we first read that this revelation was given to the Apostle John, who simply refers to himself as Jesus' servant. Then we're told in verse 2 that John bore witness not only uh, to these words of God that were spoken to him and, and testified to us, but he, 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 he gave this written record of the words that God spoke and of the things that he saw, the things that John heard and the things that John saw in written letter. And in verse 9, we're told that this revelation, this message from Jesus Christ, <coughs> was made known to him while he was still on the small Greek island of Patmos. And Patmos is located in the Aegean Sea. And church history tells us that the Apostle John uh, was the pastor in the, at the church of Ephesus late in life. And he was pastoring over the church of Ephesus prior to being arrested and exiled to this island of Patmos. And John's result, or John's, John's arrest, came as a result um, of the persecution of the church by the Roman emperor at that time, Titus Flavius, who, like Caesar Nero, demanded that the people worship him as their Lord and as their God. Now, when John was arrested, it was as an enemy of Rome. He was considered an enemy of Rome for refusing to worship the Roman emperor. And for his refusal, they tried to kill him. You may have heard this. They tried, they tried to kill John, church history tells us this, by putting him in a boiling pot of hot oil. However, even though John was put in the boiling pot of oil, he was miraculously unharmed. And because they could not kill him, they exiled him to this island, to in Patmos, in 86 A.D. And Patmos is this small penal island. It would be off of what's uh, the, of, of, of modern-day Turkey there in the Aegean Sea. And we know that John remained there until 96 AD. As a result of that, we can determine that, um, accurately determine that John wrote this book somewhere during that time frame, between 85 and 96 AD. Now, in verse 4, it tells us that this book was originally sent as a letter to seven actual churches in Asia Minor. But John, in verse 3, makes it clear that any believer, including you and I today, that we can and, and, and will profit from it. In fact, God promises a blessing to anyone who would read the book, and what does it say? There's a blessing in reading it, but a blessing in keeping it in obeying the message that is found within these pages. And this book of prophecy was, was um, 
not sent, we have to keep this in mind as we look at this now in relationship to ourselves today as the church receiving a message from Jesus Christ, we have to look at this in this lens and understand that this book of prophecy was not sent to the seven churches in order that their curiosity about the future might be fulfilled. And yet today, this is a, one of the attractions for so many people in the world to, 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 to study through this book of Revelation. It, 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 it it's um, intriguing to them because it speaks about future things that they might be interested in. It, 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 they, they look to have their curiosity fulfilled, but that cannot be our motive. This cannot be our motive as we study through this. Keep in mind, at this time, God's people, at this time, the church, when John was arrested and, 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 and put there, held in prison on the island of Patmos, the church as a whole was again going through intense persecution. We all know what Nero was like. Well, well Titus Flatius was not any, any better towards the church. And so the Roman government was still actively um, persecuting the church as well as we know that the Jewish people were as well. And so there was great persecution and, and the church as a whole needed encouragement. And so as they heard this book and were reminded of the promises of Jesus' return, it would have given them great strength. It would have given them hope in the midst of the hard times that they were in. But even more than a message of encouragement, even more than, a, than a, a foretelling of what was to come, the message that is found inside this book, inside this letter, inside these pages, this message was intended to help these churches to examine their own lives and to determine the areas that needed to be corrected. Likewise, as we study this book and the individual messages that are written to the seven different churches there in Asia which will are found in, in chapters 2 and 3, we need to, as before we go into the prophetic stuff, before we go into the end-time things, we need to look at these letters and examine our own lives and determine what needs to be corrected. In other words, the blessings come, as we read here about there being a blessing from reading and obeying, the blessings come when we are hearers and doers of the words of God, just like we read in James chapter 1, verse 22. So as we read and study this book, we must approach it. Our approach must be one who are worshipers of God. Worshipers of God who humbly surrender their lives and go, okay, Lord, you're speaking to me, and you're, and you're wanting these things to be true in my life, and, and you're wanting me to apply them to my life because of what's yet to come. Because time's running out. And so we must approach it as worshipers of God and not just as students of the future events it prophesies about, lest we miss out on the blessings. And in light of this, it's worth noting that there are seven specific blessings mentioned throughout the book of Revelation. I'm not going to read them all to you this morning, but I'm going to give you the, the addresses so that you can go and look them up for yourself, seven specific blessings mentioned through the book of Revelation. First one is here in one, chapter 1, verse 3. The next blessing is in chapter 14, verse 13. Then in chapter 16, verse 15. Chapter 19, verse 9. Chapter 20, verse 6. 
and then two that are found in chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 7, and chapter 14, or excuse me, chapter 227, chapter 22, verse 7, and verse 14. There, it's a lot of numbers to get straight. And as we look at this and see that there's seven blessings, it points out another thing that I want you to realize as we go through the book of Revelation. Because this number seven is a reoccurring number over and over and over again through the book of Revelation, throughout this whole book. And as we read, there there are seven churches, <coughs> seven churches in Asia that, that received a copy of this letter, um, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven stars, and seven lampstands, and in addition to these, there are many other quote-unquote seven, other sevens in this book that we'll study. And this is significant because seven signifies the number of completion. When you look at a numerical study through the, through the Bible, <clears throat> seven is the number of completion, the number of perfection. And throughout this book, God tells us, as we keep that in mind, what we see is that God is telling us, <clears throat> how he's going to complete his work and usher in his kingdom. So the book of Revelation is a book of completion. It's one of the reasons why it's at the end. It's the book of completion which tells us about the end or the fullness of all things. It's the final plan given to us from God's perspective, which is awesome, it's the final plan given to us from God's perspective, letting us, his children, and as Jesus said, no longer do I call you, call you servant, but I call you friends, his children, he's letting us, his children, we're letting us, his friends, know how it's all going to conclude. And this is an awesome blessing in and of itself because God's left nothing for us to figure out on our own how it's all going to end. He clearly tells us what is going to happen, not only with us who believe, but to those who don't believe and to the rest of the creation itself. In the light of this, I want you to see that the Bible is a complete book. It begins with the book of Genesis, which is often referred to as the book of what? The book of beginnings which tells us about the beginning of all things. You want to know how it all began? Go to the book of, Revel of, of Genesis. It's a book of beginning. It explains it all, like the beginning of creation, the beginning of man, the beginning of sin, and the beginning of the curse that we're all now under. And Revelation, being the last book, tells us about the end of all things, the end of creation, the end of sin, and the end of the curse. And again, the Bible is a complete book. Now, as we go on and look at verses 4 through 6, John says, he says to the seven churches which are in Asia, and he greets them, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Again, the number seven there. And, 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 and keeping in context, helping us to discern these things, seven is the number of completion. And from Jesus, verse five, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, in these verses, we have the formal greeting to the churches 
who would read this letter. And as often is found in many of the other New Testament um, letters to the epistles that we read, there are, there's these two words in this order, grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. And, and these words are used um, because grace was a formal greeting in the Greek culture. If you were Greek, <coughs> you would come and you would say, instead of saying hello, you would say grace. Grace to you. It's the Greek word charis. And um, the, the word peace was a formal word of greeting to someone in the Hebrew culture. And so we know that this letter is going out to both the Greek and the Jew. And so we often read the grace and peace in that order as kind of a, an overall greeting to both the Greek and the Jew, a customary greeting. And so if you and I were living in John's day, instead of saying hello or how are you, we would say charis or, and shalom. Charis and shalom be with you. But the reason why these words of greeting are always found in this order is, is because no one can have true and lasting peace in their life without receiving first the grace of God, which is unconditional, unmerited favor of God. And as we read on, we see that this greeting is in fact... come. And just real quick, people can read through this, and if they don't have grace... And they read these things and they believe them to come to pass. You know what they're not going to have? They're not going to have peace. They're not going to have peace. But the other reasons why we read on here and see that this, is, this greeting is, is here, it's, 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 we see that it's in fact coming from all three persons of the Godhead. Did you guys notice that? And by it, we're going to see the doctrine of the Trinity being brought to us. From him who is and was and who is, is, and who is to come is referring to God the Father, the eternal one, the one who is without beginning, the one who is, who is without in, the I am. In other words, God the Father is, is described as the eternal one, and therefore all of the past and all of the present and all of the future is a part of his plan. We talked about that as we were studying through 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is God's ordained plan from the beginning of time, for from before time. And in addition to this, we read at the end of verse 4 that this greeting also comes from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, the Bible clearly tells us that there's one God and one spirit. There's not seven spirits. So as I already pointed out, the number seven represents completion and that this is a Jewish book. Keeping this in mind, looking at this through a Jewish lens, knowing that the number seven is significant in relationship to completion, we then can unlock the knowledge that we're, or unlock here what we're being told with the knowledge of the Old Testament. You don't need me to sit up here and tell you, well, I really think that it believes or and believe that it means this. You don't want my opinion in these things because then I'm the one that's setting some kind of key and interpretation for the rest of the scriptures as well. And so as we remember it's a Jewish book and we go back to the Old Testament to see where it may also talk about the Holy Spirit in this kind of a fashion, if we go to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, we can deduct that this is a reference to the complete ministry of the Holy Spirit, to the seven spirits that are before God. And, and, and the completeness of it. And in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, there is a reference to this saying, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So there's seven 
active ministries of the Holy Spirit being described there, and the completeness of the Holy Spirit who's greeting us also in this message is represented in this passage. So grace and peace from God the Father, God the Spirit, and lastly from God the Son, Jesus Christ the faithful witness. I love that because that was what Jesus was sent to do. He was sent to be a witness. He was sent, in addition for our salvation, he was sent to make God known to us. He was the expressed image. And and when we read that he is this faithful witness, it's a declaration that Jesus has fully revealed the Father to us. He wasn't an unfaithful witness. He wasn't an incomplete witness. He was faithful to what he had been sent to do, fully reliving revealing God the Father to us. We're also told that he's the firstborn from the dead. It's important because it means that he has risen from the grave into everlasting life and that we too have and are promised that like him, we will also be resurrected into an everlasting life. He said that he's the ruler over the earth who washed away our sins by our own blood, making us priests and kings, which speaks of this, internal, this eternal inheritance. Priests and kings who have an eternal inheritance that has been given to us as a result of his payment for our sins. The Bible tells us that we've been co, become co-inheritors with Christ Jesus, that we have been adopted into the family of God, which makes us co-inheritors with the Son of God. As we read on in verse 7 and kind of come to a conclude for this morning, it says, behold, he says, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. In the words of the Lord, as we close this morning, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, in these last two verses that we're going to look at this morning, here's the overall theme. It's, it summarizes for us the overriding theme of this letter, which is the return of Jesus Christ. If you're, if you're wanting to write this down, this is it. This is all-encompassing. It's the return of Jesus Christ to defeat all evil and to establish his kingdom here on earth. And you know, the Lord already defeated all evil on the cross, but what he's going to do with it, he's going to put it in its proper place. And this book is a book that tells us of of God's victory, a victory that began at the cross with the redemption of our souls. And this is mentioned all throughout this book as we as God's people are depicted as the overcomers. Eleven times in this book, you and I as the children of God are called the overcomers. Those who have overcome 11 times. And with this understanding, we can take heart and we can be encouraged that in the end, neither the things of the world or Satan who is currently in charge of this world will have victory over us. The statement in verse 7 tells us that Jesus is coming back with the clouds. And this describes his return to the earth. And this is not the same as his return in the air to catch us away, his people, and we're told in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 of this different event. These are not the same things. In fact, in those passages, we are told that when Jesus comes to take his bride, takes us, the church, that he will do so coming as a thief. And only those who have been born of the Spirit of God will see him. And this event is described in verse 7, tells us that it will be witnessed by the whole world, this second coming. All will see him, especially the nation of Israel, who were told at that time will look upon his pierced body 
and according to Zechariah chapter 12 and chapter 13, they will then ask how he got his wounds, and then they will mourn, and they will repent of their rebellion and of their unbelief, and they will be saved. This morning we're going to have to end there. I want to point this out to you. If you guys want to come on in, take a seat. The kids are going to come on in. You see, I want to point...